past weekend, my neighbors and I were out in our front yard throwing football and playing with their four and six-year-old boys when all of a sudden a group of neighborhood kids that we didn't know came over to join in the fun. It's a new situation that has developed since our glorious snow day a month ago when neighborhood kids ages four to nine, mostly boys who never had all interacted with one another are now seeking each other out to play with each other since that Sunday afternoon when they played in the snow together all afternoon. It's been a new adventure for my four and six-year-old neighbor friends, a new adventure out in the world being exposed to new influencers. As we stood there, a group of us adults standing there talking side by side, we were watching the kids play on the yard when all of a sudden a rugby scrum ensued with just this mangled up pile of boys all searching for the ball. When all of a sudden, the biggest and oldest kid, he stood to his feet, he clenched his fist and fiercely declared, I'll do it to all the other kids on the yard. And a parent standing next to me remarked how quickly your teaching can unravel with the influence of just one kid who solves problems with his fist. She went on to say, you hope that what you are instilling will stand true. But the fear is that we are not there yet, that everything we've worked so hard to teach can be diminished, and we wonder how to best boundary and protect this vulnerable little community that is so very green with all of life. Today we begin a brief two-week sermon series on the often ignored, very brief letter of 2 John in the New Testament. 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John are all believed to be written by the same John who authored the Gospel of John. In 2nd John, he writes to the elect lady and her children, which is widely believed to be a particular congregation. So in 2nd John, read earlier by McRae and Gate, we see John the Elder like a protective parent writing out of a sense of urgency to warn his readers, the beloved children, about false teachers and the consequences of paying attention to them, of welcoming them in a way that could undermine the good teaching that they have already received. Now in his old age, John is overseeing a network of house churches. Apparently a group had broken off. John calls them in 2 John deceivers and antichrist. They no longer recognize Jesus as Israel's Messiah or the Son of God. And some are stirring up hostility among those who are still following the way of Jesus and staying faithful. They are probably wanting to receive support and validation, and they are not to offer any. John will teach us to hold fast to two inseparables, truth and love. Each of John's letters are notable for bringing the concepts of truth and love into a single notion. We can't divorce the ideas of truth and love. So truth and love will each be a part of our two-week teaching. However, today, let's focus our attention on truth. 
John greets the community by saying he loves them in the truth. Truth is the foundation of our love together. A beautiful and important reality about Christian community is that we love each other not because we are compatible and not because we are particularly drawn to one another, but because we share truth. I am aware in a church like Covenant, with all of the diversity that we enjoy and have, that we probably have a lot of different thoughts about the notion of truth. Friends, it is good for us to move toward this today and for us to reflect and to wrestle and to think theologically together. Let's sit with the idea of truth for a moment. Many of you are aware that on the main campus of UT, at the center of campus, at the tower, you will find an inscription that reads, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. We like the words, they're familiar to us, but what do they really mean? There are many ways we engage the noble work of truth. The business of truth has often been the work of education. We value the hard work of speaking truth, even when we disagree with others, the idea of speaking the truth in love. A writer with integrity is committed, committed to providing factual and truthful statements with everything that is released. The wise understand that truth is best experienced in community. Denominations and religious groups search for truth. There is academic truth, there is scientific truth. Doctors search for truth with every examination. Courtrooms seek truth. There is the truth between friends and spouses. My sister searches for truth as a claims adjuster as she examines potentially fraudulent insurance claims. For some, truth is relative and can be molded to fit any situation. Truth is a theological term. Truth is what we see when we see God. Not only does Jesus testify to the true things that he has seen and learned from the Father, but he himself is the truth. We care about the truth. The challenging twist for us now is that we live now in a post-truth world. Post-truth. It was the word of the year in late 2016, identified by Oxford Dictionary editors. The concept had been around for nearly a decade, but in 2016, they saw a significant uptick, uptick in the frequency of its use, declaring it to be the word of the year. Post-truth is defined as, this adjective is defined as, relating to or denoting circumstances in which objective facts are less influential in shaping public opinion than appeals to emotion and personal belief. Friends, in God's providence, you and I are alive now, living in this time of post-truth. 
where truth is becoming more and more irrelevant and where objective truth is being superseded by your truth and my truth. What does this mean for followers of Jesus who called himself the way and the truth and the life? What does this mean for followers of Jesus who called himself the way and the truth and the life? This is an uncomfortable space that we find ourselves in as we wonder how truth can come alongside a post-truth society. Friends, we get to figure out together how can we hold fast to the truth in a way that does not sacrifice love. What John the Elder points to in verse seven is that the truth we bear witness to is a person, a truth that can be known, a truth that we can be in relationship with, a truth that we walk in and walk with, who, as we learn from John's gospel, is the word that became flesh, or as Eugene Peterson translates in the contemporary message of the Bible, the word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. The divine leaves the divine world, comes to the human world, lives among humans in human form while retaining divine status. That's what the doctrine of the incarnation is all about. The incarnation literally means enfleshment. Friends, this now defines our mission because we all embody what we believe in some way. So we now get to incarnate the gospel as best that we can. We get to be a living, bearing witness and a signpost to a hurting world that is desperate for good news and for healing. The Elder John points us to a different kind of truth because truth is ultimately not something that we just give mental assent to. The central truth of the gospel is not a proposition or an idea. It's not a perspective. It is not relative truth. The latest theories will not set us free. It's not the individualism of my truth or your truth. The central truth is a person named Jesus. In knowing this truth, this one will make all the difference in our lives. In all of this, as we sit with the relationship of truth and love, I am reminded of my friend who I will call Chris. I met Chris when I was working at a church in Los Angeles. Our journey began together because she showed up to the office one day just looking for someone to talk to and to pray with. Chris worked in a morally bankrupt part of the entertainment industry. I learned that she had experienced a lot of pain, a lot of pain in so many areas, beginning with her family of origin. Her dad was a pastor who struggled with alcohol. For Chris, God was always a punishing God. She was struggling with nightmares, struggling to like herself, struggling with regret 
and with shame. She had just recently left a lucrative job where, we sh where she had been thriving economically for six years. She gave that up and the ability to be financially secure in a very expensive city because she had an encounter with the living God who rescued her from destruction and set her free. But this was only the beginning of a difficult journey of transformation for Chris because she was struggling to find honest and honorable work. She needed women to come alongside her and to help her to relearn how to dress in order to get a job in, in a healthy environment. She was struggling to trust men. She needed men to come alongside her and to help her to learn how to have a friendship with a man who cared about her just because she was the beloved daughter of the living God. She needed followers of Jesus to take a chance on her and not simply to judge her from a distance, but instead to love her with the extravagant love of God. But what she kept experiencing time and time again was people championing the truth, sometimes giving her scripture, people she hardly even knew, giving to her a list of scripture that left her feeling shame, less than, and unwelcome. Friends, we hold fast to the truth, but we do not champion the truth in a way that is harsh, cold, impersonal, or arrogant. As Thomas is fond of saying, people do not care what you know until they know that you care. This church is full of generous, gracious, loving, caring people who follow Jesus with great intention. But I wonder if we would struggle having someone like Chris in our midst talking with our children, spending time with our spouses, our boyfriends, our brothers, and our dads. I know that we would be happy to welcome the recovered Chris, but would we welcome the recovering Chris? John Stott has this to say about truth and love and how each qualifies the other. Our love grows soft if it is not strengthened by truth, and our truth hard if it is not softened by love. Friends, as you think about how you incarnate the gospel, wherever you live, work, and play, as you consider your presence out in the world, as you think about your presence on social media, as you consider your relationships with those who are closest to you, especially those with whom you seem to frequently disagree with and not see eye to eye with, I wonder how you might grow in your ability to hold fast to the truth in a way that does not sacrifice 
love. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but rather to save the world through him. This is the truth that we walk in. This is the truth that we share.